0: Welcome to a new episode of Blue Jay Bites. Now here's your host, my dad, Brian Ott. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Blue Jay's Bites podcast. My name is Brian Ott, alongside Matt Morenas, coming to you live from Scriptown Brewing in the Blackstone District in Omaha, Nebraska. Matt, super excited for this.
1: Yeah, I'm pumped up for this. First,
0: I'm really excited to be able to see you in person while we do this. And I right? really just have to, like, think about you while I'm recording the podcast. And it gets kind of weird. Um, but, you know, it's great to be in the same room with you. I think the audio quality is going to come over. Um, even better here in these in these recordings. We want to thank everybody at Script Town right now that we're bothering with this podcast. I see some people in Jay's gear, so that's exciting. Uh, we hope to see more of you guys and gals in here on a week to week basis as we get this off the ground. Special thanks to John Farr and Jill and everybody from Script Town here um, for getting us going. But yeah, it's a really exciting chapter for us. We're about um, I think this is our this is our Randall Crutcher episode maybe. I would not have known that number if you had. This might be our Mike Grimes episode. I'm not sure. Wasn't he 34? Yeah. What are we at now? We're near 50. We're pretty no, close. Yeah, we're, we're pretty close. Podcasts.
1: No, we're pretty close, man. I'm telling you,
0: we're uh, we're Joel Templeman. We might be 44. Anyway,
1: we be Al Hus. Actually, either. we, we like, might be big Al Hus. Al Hus. I think we'll dedicate this to big Al
0: Hus. But anyway, um, like I mentioned, um, we're here live tonight from Script Town Brewing. They've decided to be a uh, title sponsor for the Blue Jays Bites podcast um, this year and hopefully beyond, and it all gets really started this week with Creighton basketball. So, Matt, um, you know, again, I want to thank Script Town. This is going to be really exciting. We plan on being in here on a uh, week-to-week basis, um, doing the podcast here live. Some Um, viewing parties or some road games, some special guests and all that live too. Hopefully. Watch them, you know, pull out a close one at DePaul again, like they always do. Hey, uh, those are the, those
1: are exciting. Some of, you know, sometimes you got to pull out a close one and get the crowd going, even when they're not in
0: the stands. Judging right? by the preseason ratings, uh, we might be seeing our name next to DePaul quite a bit. Yeah, pretty close uh, so in can, the Big East standings. We there, can right? talk <laughs> about that in a little bit. Um, we also want to uh, we also want to mention that we do have a ten minute interview with Creighton uh, men's basketball staff member Steve Murfeld. So I know you were able to catch up with Murph today before practice. Um, and that's a really good segue into, Matt, I think, catching everybody up to speed. You were at practice today, the first practice following the scrimmage. Did they have Sunday it off? It was. They did yeah. have Sunday off. So they had off. Sunday yep. off, closed scrimmage, you know, the secret scrimmage. Everybody always used to be really hush-hush, and now essentially they do everything except televise the game and yeah. let people in the building. We've got yeah, box No media, scores. no
1: fans. It's just a. I mean, I understand people will laugh at the idea that it's a secret scrimmage, but that's been kind of kiboshed over the years. It's just... A close scrimmage to get, uh, you know, your team on film against an unfamiliar opponent. Um, and Murph talks about it a little bit in the interview. Just having three weeks of practices against yourself, when you call out plays against a scout team defense, they know what you're running. So right. your tendency is to kind of take shortcuts because you know what where everybody's trying to go and things like that. So having an, an opponent that's not familiar with that, guard those actions, and vice versa, gives you the opportunity to evaluate your team in a different type of perspective. So that's why these things are valuable. Um, and that's why everybody does them.
0: Yeah. So and it essentially takes one of the two exhibition games. So the Blue Jays leave a little bit of cash on the on the floor. Granted they get an extra game for being part of an MTE, right? But Yeah, I'm not sure if Minnesota counts as a
1: buy game or not, if it's a secret if it's a close <laughs> right. scrimmage. I don't know. The question if they is they if pay we're on Patino the bug, any they, more money? I think the patinos are pretty well off, but you know, they are constantly uh. handing out things to
0: various <laughs> players, so who knows? I completely forgot that Chris Mack took over for Coach Patino down at Louisville until today again. I mean, I don't normally think of Xavier unless it's to hate think of yeah. Xavier. but um, And one of Mack's the-
1: former assistants has a restraining order filed against him by DePaul's current staff So and AD. So, yeah, Biggie's family is kind of spreading out throughout the country, <laughs> and they all are real still fans of each
0: other. So I would be remiss if we, you know, before we dive into everything from the, um, the scrimmage, I know when you talked to Murph, it was before practice. Let's just catch up real quick on how practice went today. Um, when I asked you off the record, it sounded like uh, everything was maybe a little slow to get started today off the practice, but you just go ahead and kind of level set for us how the practice was today.
1: Uh, I think, you know, I think something left to be desired, I guess, from the coach's perspective, um... It took a little bit of, a little bit of butt chewing to get certain groups going, but I mean that's kind of to be expected. It's not a situation worth panicking over, but just sometimes, especially on off days, I've said this before, when the team comes back off of an off day, that's usually when their clunkers of practices are. Sure. Just that that day in between kind of shuts everything down. You get used to the rest, and then you come back in the practice floor, and the coaches are expecting you to ratchet up right away. So um, it takes a few minutes to get going there a little bit. But luckily Creighton has guys that are, you know, developing into roles that where if someone needs a vocal presence, the Jordan Scurries, uh Martin Cramples, even Damian Jefferson today was a big voice. Huh. A prominent voice. So like they're able to jump start themselves. There are players on the team who are jumping into those roles to replace the leadership they lost with Toby Hegner, Tyler Clement, um Marcus Foster, Kyrie Thomas. Those were the guys that did it last year. So That's part of the transition they're going through right now is having to deal with different voices, telling them the things they've heard over and over again in order to get them going when they're not at their best. So that was today's practice. I thought that was the most interesting takeaway was just um, how those messages are resonating from the players' leadership perspective.
0: Yeah, I think it was key. um, Obviously, when you listen to the Coach Merfeld interview, he talks about just having Martine out on the floor for the close scrimmage was big for him just to be out there he's obviously dealt with a lot um and it sounds as though martin's really trying to become that vocal leader too on the on the floor but what's it like when um a guy like martin can get out there and then um for the rest of the teammates right like he's obviously struggled a lot coming back from the injury he's got that transylvanian blood or Slovenian blood that he's steelvanian. T- St- St- steelvanian, steelvanian, steelvanian blood so he's got that going for him but Um, you know, what's that like for the other guys around him that see him just constantly fighting to get back on the court, knowing that he's got two other low post guys that he's going to be sharing time with and they are really trying to build something around down there with Samson Frawling and Jacob Epperson?
1: Yeah, the guys love Martin. I think, you know, the best way to describe it is, I guess, he he obviously has that sprained ankle, and when he went down with that in that team scrimmage, um, you know, a couple Sundays ago, it was a real quiet hush over the entire gym. The whole team helped him up, like, and that turned into a sprained ankle that he barely missed any days from. But I mean, <laughs> right. you know, in hindsight or at the time, because he's like, Ivan Drago. Yeah, like sure. not again. You know, we don't want to see Martine get hurt, but it it just showed you how much the team thinks of Martine um, in terms of his leadership, in terms of what he can bring to the floor, uh, and just to see him come back as quickly as he has from again a second ACL tear in his Creighton career and. Obviously, the highly sprained ankle that was supposed to keep him out. He wasn't even supposed to play against Minnesota because of that. Sure. Um, So just to see him out on the floor uh, doing his thing, kind of getting back into the mix, I think is uplifting to everybody and certainly inspiring to guys that, you know, Jordan Scurry has talked about this. uh, When you have nicks and things that you think are going to keep you from being at your best on a certain day, All you have to do is just find Martin on the floor and see how much work he's putting in because he's one of the last guys off the floor at the end of practice. He's one of the first guys to show up to get his rehab in so he's ready to go when the practice, you know, in time to practice. Um, that's, That's inspiring to the team because they realize if that guy's not making excuses for not giving 100%, I have nothing to talk about in terms of. If my ankle's sore or my shoulder's sore, things like that. So that's the type of tone he sets on a daily basis just by being active, by being there, by being engaged. Everybody follows that lead naturally.
0: Well, it's hard to overstate just how important he is to the team this year. I mean, their roster, their lineup looks completely different with him off the floor. Obviously, we saw it last year, and they pieced together things down the stretch, but it didn't go the way they wanted it to go. It certainly didn't go the way that it looked like it was going to go with him healthy. And honestly, probably the most surprising player um, in the Big East Conference, I think, at least for people outside the Omaha area with just the leaps and bounds that he made. Um, and obviously dealing with injuries, you know, the seasons before that too. So um, obviously it's a completely different animal if he's on the floor and then you get the, the twin you know Aussies down there and trying to roll big lineups together. What's that been like? What's that? I know it's been hard for him to get that established because of the injury time, but what's it look like when they've been getting it out on the floor?
1: Well, that's going to be different for Martine too this year. You talk about the impact that he had last year. That was mostly at the five with yeah. Toby Hegner at the four this year. Martine's... Super athletic five that sure. can go out and pop. Right, but now he's a uh, now he's taking that suit that athleticism advantage that he had at the five and moving it back to the four. So, you know, he's having to pop more, shoot the threes, set more screens, things like that. So that's a different challenge for him too, and that hasn't been without its uh, ups and downs. So it's it's going to be a process for him to kind of get back in the mix. I think if people are expecting the Martin that was performing the way sure. he was performing last year, maybe they should temper those expectations a little bit because he is kind of learning a new position as well, um, as well as rehabbing from a torn ACL uh, to get back into the mix. So um, he has been great. I'm not trying to say that. Uh, he's been one of the best players in practice. You heard it here first,
0: Matt. Matt DeMorae says Martin Crample sucks. You heard it here first. And with from that, the enthusiasm Roo. is killed throughout the entire <laughs> right. throughout the entire venue.
1: Um, no, but, yeah, uh, in terms of Jacob
0: and, Mar- and Sam, though, Samson, dude, you have to call him Samson. I imagine this it's enormous take a while. man coming on the mountain. I'll, with will like Samson hair. on the paper, but okay. like
1: Sam, I agree. The hair makes it easy to call him Samson when you see him, but it's going to be Sam for a minute
0: here, <laughs> a little bit because that's to, Yeah, exactly.
1: Sure. Uh, he's been great, though. I think
0: is this where you start to get my hopes up about how good? Yeah, this you're probably going to want to get your hopes yes. up over Sam Froling.
1: I think he's going to be good. Um, sooner than you would probably expect a freshman big man to be good, I guess. Uh, He's just got so much international experience. And and that's just so valuable. Yeah, Murph talked about that. It's just so valuable in terms of, like, getting acclimated to a situation that's not home quickly. Sure. Which is something that all freshmen struggle with. You know, that's part of the process. When your head's spinning on the court, it's also spinning off the court because you're trying to get – comfortable in your surroundings and okay, why is are coming so to practice here, why, this is ridiculous yeah, yeah why do this they have not what, what are these forced, what are these other students besides summer what is going on <laughs> um, but on the court he's been great i think i don't know i am not going to say the name i want to yes, say, say Brees I, I, i'm not going to say it cuz i want to hear a coach say it first just to
0: see what? If I'm crazy no come on just what's it rhyme a, with
1: in terms of post skills he's super advanced for a freshman he, like he's, Smug Schnermit? <laughs> like maybe. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, he just he just has an ability to score in different ways. He's very, like Nick very crafty, like very crafty down low. Okay. I see what you're I see where you're going. You're you're picking up what I'm putting down. I appreciate that. Okay. That's our chemistry coming forward right there. Totally. Um. It's weird not but to I be think, my jammer yeah, I, right I, now. I don't think the Minnesota scrimmage was a fluke in terms of how he performed. I would expect that to be more of the norm. Than not.
0: Yeah I mean we you know let's let's pop into Rob Anderson's brain here real quick and look at the first half box score um, so Samson coming off the bench there plays eight minutes in the first half six points four boards a couple free throws missed a three but 50 percent from the field uh, a turnover I guess maybe th- this is just a little bit of a side note I know we can do that because we're just you know people have to listen to us here while they drink awesome beer um, and have great Noli's pizza but a little shocked. Zero block shots in the first half. One block shot in the second half for a team that's essentially throwing out two seven-footers and um, our team that can go up and, and challenge. I know that's going to maybe be a little different as we roll into things defensively. Maybe it's not that look, and that's not what Minnesota showed them, but uh, I think that was a little different than what I was expecting. Thoughts? Yeah, maybe.
1: Uh, I think Minnesota shot the three ball a little bit more than <clears throat> than Creighton was expecting to. Yeah, they to. So, ton of threes. I, I think... In terms of their ability, I think we know Jacob Everson can block shots. I mean, he had six against Providence in the Big East Tournament last year, and they were trying to get everything at the rim. So I think it just maybe – they got something
0: just, at the rim toward the end of the game, Matt. You had to bring it up. I'm, I mean, Thanks. I didn't bring it up. You right, brought it whatever. up. whatever. That
1: was, that was okay, for you Jacob, to ignore You didn't. But, I mean, it's uh, – I think he has the ability to block shots, certainly challenge shots. But there's also that deal, like, you know, Creighton doesn't like to foul. So, you know, yeah. you have to you have to be solid down there. Verticality is the Will first thing. Will that change
0: rule. because of some of the depth now they've got with Jacob and with Samson it's, and even with Martín? The, the fouling isn't about depth. The fouling is about putting teams at the free throw line and giving away points there. Will they be more likely to take a risk trying to challenge at the rim or not? I don't think so. Okay. I just don't
1: think that's what they try to do. You know They try to play without fouling, period, at all positions. So it goes back to even <laughs> when everybody thought they were trying to protect Doug from getting in foul trouble because he's so good offensively. But really, it just it's wasn't just, the deal. just about putting you guys at the free throw line because you give away free points there. So That's why um, they call it the free throw line. Just, yeah, exactly. Okay. In theory, everybody should be good at shooting free throws. I know people think Creighton isn't good at shooting free throws, but and they weren't against Minnesota. But um, putting a team at the free throw line tends to be a recipe for a loss in Greg McDermott's history at Creighton. Sure. Um, so... I think the number that jumped out at me was that Minnesota got 25, and if you look back last season, the last four opponents that shot 25 or more free throws all beat Creighton. So that's the number that needs to come down from just looking at the box score for sure. Um, but in terms of just being trying to block shots, I think Creighton, is a, verticality is number one rule, making sure you're in position and you know don't bring those arms down and give away cheap ones so guys can steal points at the free throw line is a priority as
0: well. And I know that it's a little bit different. It's not a fluid... 40-minute game in these scrimmages necessarily, but the first half and second half, kind of a tale of two halves. The Jays lose that first half. They win the second half. They lose the first half on the boards. They win the second half on the boards. Um, Turnovers, I know that (laughs) you've talked a couple times uh, recently even at practice about just too many turnovers, not taking care of the basketball. Coaching staff, pleased with how things went against the Gophers, not pleased, was it that same sort of tale of two halves? And I know they had the bonus period, too, but talk a little – I'm going to throw my first talk a little bit about that. You just
1: that. did. You can't walk that back now. Can so, walk it back? Um, once you go there. Uh, yeah, I think turnovers – I don't know if they were a big issue, but they definitely contributed to the first half. I think I think Greg McDermott felt they got better as the game went on, so that's encouraging. Um, but, I mean, just to see a one-to-one turnover ratio, that's not where Creighton needs to be. Right. Just that's not how they're going to be successful, period. So, I think going forward, that's something they need to address. And there were a few turnovers today in practice that were ill-advised in situations where they had man advantages. So those are definitely situations where you don't want to turn over when you get a four-on-three or a five-on-four and things like that. Um, so yeah, turnovers will definitely be something they try to clean up. Uh, you know, here in this week leading up to the exhibition game, and then obviously before the regular season starts, when the games will be, when the games will
0: start counting. So everybody starts sending us emails mail uh, on our mailbag ask and inevitably you know people are really interested in Davion Mints right and they're really interested about um Marcus Zagorowski pushing him at the point. A lot of what you've talked about in previous podcasts, Matt, that and even in those practice recaps about him pushing him for equal minutes, him getting run with the starting five. Marcus, we're talking about Zagorowski. Uh, what would that? What did that look like this weekend? And maybe specifically when you saw it today in practice. Uh, obviously, Marcus Zagorowski—that's his first taste of going up against a big big ten, big ten team, open scrimmage or not. What's that look like for him, and how does that translate as we get essentially? Well, first of all, I guess we forgot to celebrate. This is Crane Basketball Week, man. This is a big. This is a big yeah, deal. It is. It's, a, it's Winona State. The
1: women start tomorrow, exhibition. The men on Saturday. It's. It's. I call it. Uh, officially, unofficial game week because it's not an official game. So. Hey, we've got a
0: Polyfro primer coming out this week, so that yeah, means it's game true. week. It's so. game week. But anyway, talking about Marcus a little bit and Davion and that push Are you
1: for the stick point. With the talk about thing is that what you're going Is that your new thing now? Talk, you just said talk about it again? Are you no, I want to know
0: your your expertise on Ooh. what we should expect as Creighton fans when the point guard play. When we're dissecting the point guard play mm-hmm. early in the season. Because I don't know if you well, saw it, but Gonzaga's the number three preseason team in the country. <laughs> they are. Uh, Villanova's in the top ten. Oklahoma's going to be right there in the rankings as well. I mean, it's it's immediate for these guys. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, the first, when I guess talking about the point guard position, I, I guess the the impression I got from you know talking to Murph a few weeks ago was that they're going to split that role. Uh, I think the coaching staff thinks highly of uh, Zagorowski's ability. Um, and it's certainly different. In terms of his style of play, than Davion, uh, so I expect him to get quality minutes for sure. I don't know, I don't know how much of a split is going to be even. Obviously, Davion played 22 in the scrimmage, and Marcus played 18. Uh, a lot of that might be inflated just to get guys extra reps on the floor, so you can put it on film and things like that. Um, but also, Davion's in a different type of role because he's more of in a combo guard role because he's going to be expected to score a little bit more to alleviate some of the pressure off of just trying to find, trying to put a lot of pressure on one person to replace Marcus and Kyrie. It's going to be more about committee. God, I, miss God, I miss those guys.
0: I miss those guys. I sit there and I watch Kyrie rack up DNPs and it just, oh, I mean, it's good for him. I'm glad that he made that move, but yeah. man, it's just hard for me to watch Kyrie get DNPs. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. Not to Just to,
1: to stay on this team, because I think people don't, <laughs> I think people want to move forward here. Okay. Uh, I agree. It's tough to see Kyrie getting DMPs though. That Kyrie fence is being locked up right now. That's not good. Cool. I'm about the, to send the, NBA the best some, Kyrie fence for the other team send, is the bench. I'm about so. to send some hate mail when we're done here, I now because you got me all fired up. I'm sorry, um, but yeah, Davion's going to be expected to score a little bit more. Uh, Tyshawn, Mitch. They're, they're kind of going to expect guys to Caleb. Okay, they're going to expect guys to kind of share that role in the backcourt too, you know, until someone kind of seizes it a little bit. Um, so Davion taking shots isn't necessarily an alarming thing. Obviously, he's got to hit some of them, so that's the part that stood out was 5 for 12 probably. If you're going to go 5 for 12 and have three turnovers, that's probably not a good line from your point guard, so they probably want that to get a little bit better. But he's also in that tough transition for himself too because he's trying to figure out when do I be a facilitator, when do I be a scorer, you know, and that that aggression that you need to be one or the other to scale it back or to dial it up, that's a tough you know, situation to find yourself in when you're in the court of court and you have to make a choice right there, you know what I mean? So he's in that tough situation right now in terms of just trying to find out when to do what and when the team needs it, that sort of thing. So that might be affecting some decisions um, in terms of turnovers or bad shots and stuff like that. So that's the tough part for him right now. Zach Rousey's an entirely different player. Really? Just, you know, on the ball, he's just, you know, he plays at a certain pace that's just different. Um, he sees the floor differently than most guys um, he's more of a pure point guard. So when you see those guys in their roles, it'll be a little bit different because Davion will obviously have more of a scoring punch. Marcus will score, but he's, when he's in there – But at the rim, is he, yeah, he getting can, at the rim? he can get to the rim pretty good. He's pretty crafty with his dribble. He can shoot really well too from the outside, which Creighton's going to need because, I mean, I think people, the reputation of Creighton is let it fly. You know, whenever you're open, let it go. Sure. But the bottom line is Marcus – Kyrie, Toby, and even Tyler Clement, who took 34, 35 threes last year. Those were all near or above 40% I know, that was 43 shooters.
0: times my dad yelled in the stands, don't shoot that, 43 times <laughs> at home or in the stands. And he hit 40% of them. My so dad was wrong my dad 40% was wrong.
1: of the time. So, yeah, um, <laughs> that's still a very proficient group of three-point shooters that they don't have on the roster anymore. And then you look at everybody else that's still on the roster, those guys were all 35 or under. So someone's got to make a jump.
0: I'm going to throw this out right now just because this is a total side uh, side note, but for Jays fans listening on this podcast, I want them to send in their favorite sneaky all-time Creighton Basketball Hall of Fame plays. Not like the plays that everybody remembers, like the Terrell Taylor play or anything, but like Tyler Clement, Corner 3, MSG in the game that Marcus wins with the uh, game winner in the semifinals two seasons ago, like little sneaky plays like that that actually set up something or or make a play that just out of the norm. I want people to send those in, and we'll hit it on the mailbag too and send that out via Twitter, but that'd be something. I'd be interested to see what we get back from a request like that ahead of next week. So uh, Blue Jays Bites podcast listeners, you've been warned, and we're requesting that from you on the Script Town Blue Jays Bites podcast. All right, back to the scrimmage at hand. Uh, Mitch struggling, at least box score wise, to knock down two yeah, shot. Yeah,
1: he's like crazy in practice. That's not at all reflective of how he's shooting. Okay. I mean, but, he came in today in practice and banged three more. So the, I think he was three or four in practice. But is that today. against
0: scout team, not Minnesota? Well, one of them was what? a step
1: back over Jacob Eberson. So that's highly right. difficult shot, and he sank that one. So okay. I'm not worried about his one for five at all. Okay. In fact, you know, so we just left off talking about guys trying to fill a role of, um, you know, raising their three point average from the year ago. I expect him to be. A guy who's hovering around, if not north, of 40% to um, bridge some of that gap of the departures of Toby and Marcus and Kyrie. So, right. yeah, I'm not worried about his one for five. Tyshawn shot it well. Yeah. That's another guy who's been shooting in really well in practice. So, I think Mitch's, Mitch and Tyshawn have both been around 50% in practice. So, um, you know, over the last three weeks, they they're, they're confident in their shots right now. And I don't think, you know, the scrimmage against Minnesota – let off any red flags in terms of what they're going to be able to do. I think those guys are just natural shooters.
0: So we'll get into this uh, Steve Merfeld interview here real quick, but I do want to talk, or you can just let the listeners at home know... Um, You know, what's a week look like now as these guys get ready? Winona State, Saturday night. Then they've got kind of an extended amount of time off. They're not playing that first weekend. They'll start uh, regular season on Tuesday, I think November 6th. So what's uh, prep look like for Winona State right now? Obviously, they're just taking care of themselves. they doing any scouting against Winona State. What's that look like here in the next couple days ahead of Saturday? I'm sure they'll introduce some scout um,
1: towards the end of maybe maybe Friday or so. Uh, They're in a practice at the CHI Health Center, oh, that's uh, I think weird. two or three times this week. So they'll be in the at the home arena. Um, <laughs> Is that what are going to call now? The home arena? I don't know. <laughs> the clink works so well, I just oh. don't, I don't know about all that situation. So yeah. Chico. Uh, Chico's bail bonds. Yeah, they'll get going there, and they'll work on some things. They'll, they'll scout one and and'll say a little bit, so there's some um, idea of what they'll face. But a lot of it's going to be about what they saw in that Minnesota scrimmage and fixing, you know, that. fixing some of the things they're they you know, so fix some of their shortcomings right now, and then obviously enhancing some of the good things as well. So, right now, it's it, today. It was certainly about them, um, and
0: uh, that's what they'll be doing probably for the rest of this week. Majority of it, for sure. Okay. So we're gonna go ahead and play this Steve Merfeld interview with you, Matt. Anything you want to set up before we dig into this? No, I think we've uh, dissected that pretty
1: about as much as we can. I think, um, you know, we talk about that a lot of that scrimmage is um, heavy in this interview as well. And, and we also talk about some of the things that they're going to be doing in this week upcoming and these weeks upcoming before the regular season starts too. So pretty much all the questions that Blue Jay fans have been
0: asking since that scrimmage hopefully are answered here in the next 10 minutes. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and uh, broadcast this Steve Murfeld interview live on the Blue Jays Bites podcast sponsored by Script Town Brewing. Well,
1: Murph, thanks for sitting down with uh... – with us talking about, obviously, coming off that scrimmage, close scrimmage against Minnesota. I know it's on everybody's mind just in terms of just what you saw because there obviously isn't a lot to digest other than a box score. Um, but just from your perspective, what what did you see out of that good and bad, things that, I guess, are on the top of your mind in immediate future yeah, to I focus think,
2: on? You know, from, from a coach's standpoint, it's probably about what we expected, some really good things, uh, some things... Uh, you know, without trying to be negative, some things that we need to really uh, get better at. Uh, but all in all, uh, it's why you play these early scrimmages or exhibition games, to get um, a better feel going against somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all in all, uh, it was very positive, uh, obviously we're following it up with Saturday scrimmage or uh, exhibition game with people in the stands, and mm-hmm. that's another step, you know, forward for the new guys, and really for everybody. Uh, because this is a much different team than we had last year.
1: Sure. Uh, just in terms of structure, what, what, what it, how does that thing go? Because, I mean, you see first half, second half, it's seg- segmented like that. Is there things like where there's 20 minutes and you guys are focusing on this part of the scheme and another 20 minutes is this part? Or is it
2: segmented like it looks like it's segmented, it's, I it's guess, on the outside? basically played like a game, okay. with the exception of um, the second half was played uh, just like a first half. Uh, versus the end of the game, uh, we use media timeouts. You know, it, it it's really to acclimate um, your players, even the veterans. Uh, on, um, you know, this is how the games played. You know, sometimes they forget that there's media timeouts at the uh, 16, 8, eight, four mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the new guys, that's that's all new to them. So, yeah. uh, but from a schematic point, um, you know, we didn't necessarily play. Each half differently, uh, looked at a lot of different combinations, and um, uh, you know, obviously, we've got a little bit of an issue with uh, not really having a true four man uh, that fits uh, exactly what we've done in the past. So, trying to figure out uh, which of those front court guys can play together, and then also trying, you know, Mitch played uh, at the four when we went small last year, and certainly, Connor can fit into that scheme as well. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Just in terms of what you're looking for in lineup combinations and things like that how important i mean how much of those scrimmages help you guys nail that down as opposed to a practice where right you've kind of seen Maybe what everybody more does so this
2: year than than you know in the recent past anywhere because we have a lot of guys that are very similar you know we don't have uh, two all conference wings uh, that are going to get the majority of the minutes we have uh, a bunch of good players um, that are still trying to sort themselves out, and, mm-hmm. and, and we're trying to sort it out of what combinations uh, can allow us to be successful, and what combinations put them, uh, each individual, in the in the right situation to to get the most out of them. What did you see from the
1: bigs in that in that, in that forty fifty minutes that you guys had them on the court? I mean, you know, obviously Martine's rehabbing and yeah uh, but things like that. I but think
2: but the most important thing for Martine is he was out there uh, in a competitive game. You know, whereas. You know, in practice is one thing, and he can, you know, come and go kind of uh, based on what Ben, the trainer, wants him involved with. But when you're playing a game, you're involved with everything. Right. So in his regard, I think for from a mental standpoint, to be able to get through that um, uh, and know that, you know, the knee is fine, and, um, you know, let's move forward from there. Uh, as well as the other guys. I mean, Jacob uh, banged up a little bit with that knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably didn't play as many minutes as we would like him to. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's more important that he's healthy and uh, you know ready to go when it when it really counts. Sam did some really nice things, um, and he was able to score in the low post. We haven't necessarily had a, a low post presence uh, like him um, the last couple of years, so you know we're probably going to have to play through him a little bit at times. Um, and he's a good passer mm-hmm. uh, as well, so. Uh, Christian uh, the freshman gave us some really good minutes. Um, uh, you know, produced in in the amount of time that he was out there, uh, which is very very encouraging. Um, am I forgetting any of the, the bigs? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's it from that point. I mean, Damien obviously is playing the four a little bit, and we'll play Mitch there at the four a little bit. But they're more perimeter players than right. than post players. Just in terms of the jump, Sam's
1: made in the last couple of weeks. Have you have, have the coaches noticed something different about Maybe him being more comfortable getting over those kind of freshman, yeah that's going be a typical
2: freshman yeah you know he's, he's very mature, uh, he's been away from home before, so that you know homesickness, whatever it is isn't going to factor in um, as much as the other guys. He, he's a very very mature individual. Um, the crazy thing is it, it appeared that last week he had kind of hit a wall. Uh, which all freshmen do, Uh, the other freshmen certainly had, but we really hadn't noticed it with him until last week a little bit. Uh, But the way that he performed uh, on Saturday uh, certainly didn't back up that fact at all. I mean, he was ready to go and and had a
1: great day. Uh, The point composition. position, uh, you you talked that it might be um, a split in terms of just who's got it that night and that type of thing. What did you see out of Davion? Davion and Marcus uh, that you liked, and that maybe something yeah, go, that you to, think they could do better. To
2: go back to, to Marcus, I mean, early on he was a typical freshman really? playing in his first college basketball game. He was a little jittery and a little nervous, but once he settled in, uh, he did exactly what we asked him to do, and and played you know particularly well. Didn't shoot it great, um, but he can shoot and will be able to, to make shots for us as as we move forward. So he went through the typical freshman. Uh, point guard uh, jitters that, that I would think all point guards would go through when they're playing a team like Minnesota that got after us pretty good uh, Davian had his moments um, you know obviously he's going to have to score for us a little bit more than he did uh, last year and uh, his mindset certainly was that and maybe too much of that at times uh, but that's all a process um, that we're trying to sort out as well from a coaching standpoint of you know, who, who, where are the points going to come from sure. with this team I guess this is something I've just uh, – John actually put it in
1: my head, so I've been thinking about it. And it, it actually, it, it makes a little bit of sense, but I'm wondering from a coaching perspective what it looks like to you in terms of how the roster is structured. Because when you look at Marcus, Kyrie, and Toby, and even Tyler to an extent, who shot it well on, I think, 35 attempts from three, those were four sub, like, around 40% three-point shooters. Right. The rest of the roster coming back was all 35 or below. Does this team – is this team going to go through maybe – um, some kind of identity shift, especially with how deep you are in the post um, and with having slashers like Damian and Caleb and, and Damian, yeah. like, where it's not necessarily as reliant on the three? I, mean, or I think
2: that that's a great question, and I think that, um, I hate to give John any credit, but yeah. you know, we have to. <laughs> we do, to we times. do. That's something that we're searching for as well, mm-hmm. you know, from a coaching standpoint is, uh, you know, are we going to be able to space the floor like we did with the group that you specifically talked about and, and the groups prior to that. Uh, I think the most encouraging thing for us from a coaching standpoint is this team has um, a tremendous amount of growth ahead of them. And if they're able to to um, buy in and, and play for each other, uh, this the, the growth that will take place from the first game to the last game will be tremendous.
1: Defensively, I know you guys have focused a lot on just toughness on the ball this whole offseason especially with Paul coming in and kind of spearheading all that um, without Kyrie it seems shifting more towards the collective than the individual having a stopper gonna have to yeah well you what know? do you think uh, is still left for this team especially after, after it with a, being able to evaluate Saturday
2: yeah um, and how much growth you guys still have left on that side well of the floor. it's early um, and and we showed some great potential at the defensive end you know one of the things that that we have noticed within our own practice sessions is um. You know, we we defend extremely well for 20, 25 seconds and then, uh, you know, have a breakdown at the end or give up an offensive rebound. And that's where this group has to take the next step is, is finishing uh, possessions at the defensive end. Uh, you know, we're not going to be a – we don't have a great individual defensive rebounder, mm-hmm. so we're going to have to team defensive rebound. It's going to have to be everybody's responsibility. And and that's not an easy task, knowing that, you know, we want our guards to get out and run. Um, but before they run, we have to be able to come up with the basketball.
1: What have you noticed in your experience with you know, doing this all these years as a head coach and things like that, um, just in terms of having a game you can put on film, whether it's in front of fans or not, whether people know about it or not, to evaluate it, put it on film, show the guys, point out some things that other teams are exploiting, and then now jump into this week of practice. What does it all look like? It's right? very
2: invaluable, uh, you know, that all the stuff that we had done before and, and, you know, we met as a staff as well as, you know, we're guarding our own stuff. And when you guard your own stuff, a lot of times, you know, the, the, the natural thing is to cheat the play yeah. at the defensive end. Well, they're running this, so this is where they're trying to go, so I'll take a shortcut. Well, the growth that has to take place now is we need to start running some different actions against them um, just to, to get the mindset of, you know, it's not about necessarily the – what they're running as much as what we're doing at the defensive end. And, and that's a process. It's going to take some time. Um, it's 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 not easy uh, from that standpoint because there is a transition from, all right, we're not guarding our own guys anymore. We're guarding the opponents. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it's all about.
1: I think I'll get you out of here. On one more a set of individuals, I think with, with Marcus and Kyrie being replaced, um, the natural – people are going to naturally gravitate towards – Mitch and Tyshawn being the ones who step into their, their production, their their roles, and um, what did you see out of those two on Saturday? It looked like Tyshawn had an efficient day. Yeah, I think um, I
2: think both those guys are going to need to to have um, very very good years uh, for us to be successful. Uh, but at the same time, they can't necessarily take it upon themselves to be Marcus Foster, to to be Kyrie Thomas. They have to let. The system and, and you know the, the, the players around them help them uh, to be our leading scores game in and game out.
0: Gotcha. All right, Matt, great interview there with Steve Murfeld, Creighton men's basketball staff member, longtime Jay's staff member, works with the big assistant to the head coach, assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> so Steve Murfeld, um, hopefully have him on more and more this season. It would be nice to get some staff guys in here too here at Script Town Brewing, which is where we are bringing you the pot. Uh, blue jays bites podcast live on monday nights here um this is our first episode here at script town want to big give a big shout out to john Farr and all of his uh staff for having us in the building great spot here down at 40th and farnham in the blackstone district so blue jays fans hopefully you can make it out uh for us here in one of these upcoming live podcasts all right so let's uh, let's dive into everything else we have a bunch of mailbag questions to answer but before we do that um uh, Matt, one we did not one team we did not get a question about, but that is actually coming up first this week in terms of action is women's basketball. Uh, the Flanatics are out of, are, are out in full effect. Jim Flannery and his Blue Jays um, facing uh, Carney in an exhibition match or exhibition games. Yeah. Excuse me, the games now. Basketball Dude. games, soccer matches, I'm a, okay, no. volleyball goes both ways. The fall is weird for me because volleyball's
1: it, got sets, matches, games. Like they they call them weird. This teams, is so.
0: this is like Christmas time though for Creighton sports fans, right? Because you've got a top ten ranked volleyball program, you've got a men's basketball pro, or men's soccer program that's atop the Big East standings, no matter how many zero zero ties they throw out in our way. Those are one point, man. <laughs> it's one point. <laughs> We've got women's basketball, and men's basketball getting rolling. And women's soccer, uh, still trying to fight for a spot in the Big East ter- uh, Tournament. So, a lot going on, but let's yeah, talk a little John bit.
1: Niatawa and I call that hell, is what we, we refer what to. What do you it. call it? We call it hell. Oh, okay. Because there's five things converging all at once. Um, there's not enough time in the day. There's a lot of people that would trade places with you, my friend. Would there
0: be? I think so. Mm. Uh, especially with that nice beer you yeah, got the drinking Harvest there. Harvest Brown. Maybe if I offer the Harvest Brown, they'll take it. Make sure you get some of that Harvest Brown, skip- Script Town Brewing. Uh, Award winning, is what I hear. So... All right, so we talked Jim Flannery here. Uh, I know you've been down watching practice. Uh, what's it like, um, Aud- Audrey Faber, everybody else getting ready in the mix? I think I, I, I heard some interview with Flannery where he talked like her wrist might fall off. She's shooting so much and so well. But what's it like for his team going into 2018-2019 season?
1: Yeah, Audrey has his, the green light to shoot as many times as she wants right now with uh, her – Dynamic duo partner Jalen Agnew out with an injury right now. Um, hasn't practiced yet, but she's rehabbing, trying to get back. That's really the story of the team right now, is just trying to manage the numbers a little bit, trying to get bodies ready. Um, talk to Flynn today a little bit after practice as well. It's just, it's been a challenge trying to manage the short term with an eye on the long term. Sure. Um, because the team he has tomorrow night that you'll see on the floor at DJ Sokol Arena and in the first few weeks of the season, is not the team you'll see in March. Um, knock on wood, injuries and sure. chirp and whatnot related to that, but uh, just because of the you know Olivia Elger Elger's out right now, Jalen Agnew, Ally Green um, are all trying to rehab and get back and be ready for the you know the stretch run of the season. So that's been the challenge right now is trying to get them back um, when they're ready, but you know not sacrifice the short term as much, but you know, it's just a tough situation for a coach. So that's the challenge right now, is just trying to get the bodies ready. Um, and then, right now, the team's going to go through Audrey as much as possible. She's the go to. Uh, there's no secret about that. Um, it's just all about how much help she can get in the meantime with players who are di- in different roles, some newcomers that are trying to find roles. Uh, Peyton Brodsky, Rachel Saunders, um, even Chloe Doric, uh, walk on freshmen. Um, they've been pretty good. They've been good at times, but obviously with freshmen, there's, sure. there's, there's, a gap there, so um, you know Jade Owens is coming back—that's a good sign. That's one thing they'll have tomorrow. You'll see her back on the floor mm-hmm. for the first time in a few years. So wow, that'll be a big, big deal for her. Um, they really have had to deal with just some oh, yeah. terrible, luck the last man. couple years. It's,
0: I mean, it's crazy. For as much as we talk about the men's basketball program and the injuries, the season-ending injuries that have happened the last couple seasons for them—that really took wind out of sails proverbially, but then also made. Very significant changes to what their post seasons looked like. I think you can say in both seasons. Um, man, it's been the same for Flans team, right? Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the success that Flans team has had, you know, going through Carly Tritz's early retirement,
1: Marissa Janney's broken leg, like, you know, oh, t- injuries to marquee players, some really special players um, that have kind of derailed uh, certain seasons. The fact that they've still maintained their postseason streak, still been in the hunt for conference titles throughout all of that, no matter what is a real testament to, you know, just how Flan puts that puzzle together by the time it's, you know, the end of the year and time to play for those do-or-die games.
0: Yeah, so women's basketball will be at home on Tuesday, October 23rd against Nebraska Kearney in their lone exhibition game, not a match, game. They'll play a home opener against South Dakota on Wednesday, uh, about a week from now, Wednesday, November 7th. I'm sorry, two two weeks from now. And then they'll have their uh, their next three games on the road at North Dakota State, out South Dakota State, old friend and foe, Northern Iowa. Uh, and then they'll be home for three it, uh, beginning the week after Thanksgiving. They'll play Drake, Nebraska they get at Sokol Arena, and then Nebraska Omaha they get a couple days after that at Sokol too. So um, interesting setup for them, um, three on the road and then three at home in, in non-conference play. A little bit before the holiday season, and then they all go down to sunny Florida for the Sunshine Classic um, down in Orlando, right there before Christmas time. So, um, I know that it was kind of a big, um, uh, not a, t- I don't know how you call this past weekend on the hilltop. It was just a lot of ties, right? It was there were just, a lot of ties. There was a lot of time. There was a lot of spent, of soccer. A lot of time yep. spent with no goals. Tell me. Women, men, soccer both with scoreless draws this weekend. Well, just to per- perspective, I mean
1: we're sitting here on the eve of October 2nd, not the eve, I guess the eve of October 23rd. And uh, the last goal that was scored at Morrison Stadium by anyone was October 7th, I believe. Yikes. So that we're talking about a long time without anybody scoring Creighton <laughs> opponent or otherwise. so sure. Yeah, there was a lot of scoreless soccer this weekend. Providence and Creighton in the men's side uh, played for I guess first place in the Big East. Um, and Both teams got a point out of that, so Creighton stays in first place. Uh, keeps the zero in the loss column as well. Adds a one to the draw column. They're 5-0-1 right now, which is, I think, three points ahead of Providence and Georgetown, who are tied for second. Okay. Well, they played 0-0, 110 minutes. Um, first half probably went Providence's way a little bit. They created more chances, won more of the midfield battle. Uh, Creighton, I think, flipped that. Considerably in the second half, created definitely more chances in the box. Several that were, you know, two or three that were pretty dangerous. I think Akeem Ward, um, on that, you know, that winger position, just was kind of the man of the match. I mean, he he was sending crosses in that could have found the back of the net if there's just someone on the end of it a little bit sure. quicker. Um, and then he also made a game-saving play on the defensive side of the field. Uh, Providence caught Crate on a counter and um, had a little bit of a two-on-one with the. With Lagro there, and it was a point. It was a point blank goal if Hume doesn't come all the way back and, and pick that thing off and intercept it, and it ended up saving the match because Providence didn't score and obviously Creighton didn't score either. So that was a big that was a big
0: play, a big moment for sure um, to salvage a draw there. So yeah, the the Blue Jays are like you said five zero and one. They've got three regular season matches left, two of them at home at Morrison. Um, one a couple nights from now against Marquette, who sits squarely in the middle of the uh, uh, table in the Big East, and then on Halloween night at home against Georgetown, um, which looks to be a, a battle essentially for the top spot. Depending, obviously, things have to go um, shake out for the for the Hoyas and the Blue Jays in their schedule. They have a roadie this weekend at DePaul. On the Big East Digital Network, all three of those matches will be on the Big East Digital Network. If you can't get to Morrison for two of them, I know a lot of us have little little ones that will take trick or treating. Um, it would be awesome. Speak though. for yourself. I would love to take my kids dressed up in their Halloween costumes to Morrison Stadium. What are they just like? Up as? Uh, Johnny Torres. Both of them? Sure. Wow. <laughs> one's Elmar and one's Johnny. No. Uh, nice. James is going to be a bald eagle, and he Elmar likes, might hunt him. <laughs> That's gotta be, true. Careful. Gotta be careful. We got to be careful. Elmar might pick him off. And then uh, PJ Masks. I don't know if you know that. PJ Masks. All the da- All that? the dads listening know what the PJ Masks are. So it's uh, it's a cartoon on Disney. Uh, pretty much runs my child's brain right now, my youngest. So I was an underdog fan as a kid, so... I don't know what that is, man. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. You
1: don't know what underdog is? No. How much...
0: I was trying to explain to James uh, the idea of Saturday morning cartoons this weekend, um, and he was pretty blown away. Not that there were cartoons on Saturday mornings, but that I didn't have cable at that age. So... <laughs> That really dated me.
1: You um, outlived cable, though, because I don't think that's something that a lot of people. He probably won't have that when he's. Yeah, man, our man. house is
0: cable-free. Yeah, exactly. We're, Mine we're, too. We're running streams, and you know, I'm sure we all got weird stuff growing in our brains now from all this, but it's super convenient. So, um, yeah, apologies so. to the cable providers out there. <laughs> man, they still get my money for internet. <laughs> they're that's not, right. That's they're true. not. They're not going broke. Okay. Uh, No apologies to Cox Cable. Love you. Marquette, Georgetown at home. DePaul on the road. Jay should be favored to win all three of those matches. Um, But we did have our first question from the mailbag. This comes from J-Pack, a longtime uh, White and Blue review and and Blue Jays Bites podcast supporter. Has men's soccer played their way out of an NCAA seed? You tell me.
1: I believe so. Okay, I just you know you look at their numbers. the They're metrics. not in the ACC,
0: so that pretty much is yeah. I mean, eight strikes yeah, against them. Yeah,
1: whatever's in the ACC, they're all going to get seeds. So that's eight or nine teams. Um, they seven. do sixteen, right? Yeah, there's yeah, seven they're... for the rest of the... <laughs> right. the rest
0: of the country. They should um, just have an ACC bracket. Yeah. Right, and just then have, have a everybody 16, else jump into sure. that and mix it from there. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I think they have played
1: their way out of a seed. Um, it just they're just. They don't have the win that Be careful because wow. Elmar will
0: hunt you down. That's
1: fine. Kay. I'll wear a vest to Wednesday's match. <laughs> um, they just don't have the the the, the wow win. Denver would have probably been that had they gotten that match because Denver, I think,'s RPI is 28 right now. Sure. They'll probably have a chance to play their way into a seed. I think even they're probably a little bit on the outside right now. Okay. Um, and then oh, yeah, the not in the yeah, yeah, the other win that that's you right. probably thought would have been is Clemson, but they're under 500. If you talk about an ACC team that might not make the tournament. Isn't that wild? That, yeah. You,
0: you look at the schedule, and you, you see that early on, and you say, okay, the Jays can pick that one up. That's going to be a golden win for them. It's not like it's a bad win. Obviously, that carries a lot of cachet still, but it's not like – beating a Clemson that's in the top three of the ACC standings or something like that right now, which is too bad because that's a great schedule match for them. They mm-hmm. go and they win that one and uh, in resounding fashion in the second half of that match, and it was um, all systems go there. But, yeah, I mean, dropping You know, the one, the one
1: that's interesting is Northern Illinois. They played in a friendly, and Northern Illinois is a top 50 team right now, so that one doesn't count. So Closed scrimmage. Yep, closed <laughs> scrimmage. Right, it was a closed scrimmage. <laughs> There's less information from that Northern Illinois match than we got right. from the Mets basketball secret <laughs> scrimmage. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, but the bottom line uh, to the question, sorry. Yeah, I do think they have played their way out. I don't know if played their way out of it is probably accurate, but there isn't any opportunities left. Georgetown is a good one coming up, but even Georgetown, they're like 31 in the RPI right now. So that's that. even if they get that win and Georgetown stays in that range, that's not like enough to jump you yeah. into the top 16. Sure. Uh, so there's just too much ground to cover, I think. And then the rest of the schedule, Marquette's RPI is 120, DePaul's 109. And then Creighton's first round opponent will most likely be in that 100 range as well. So sure. there's just isn't enough opportunities left, and they didn't capitalize on any of them in the non-conference. I think UC Davis was a draw. It's a tough 50 team, so it's not a win. Sure. So yeah, I do believe they have played their way out of a seed. I think they will host a first round game in that top 48, but um, they'll probably have to go on the road in the second round and drop. try to upset somebody if they want to earn another home match. And then drop Elmar
0: off wherever it goes, and just let him you know fight to the. Yeah, he's right, not a he's not
1: he's no. I mean, him playing in the third third weekend the tournament game isn't unusual. So you might get two Creighton home matches in the NCAA tournament. They just won't be consecutive.
0: Sure. All right. So let's jump back into the mailbag again. And um, another another uh, question about one of the fall teams that's really hit their stride right now, albeit with a little bit of a scare this past weekend. We're talking about Coach Kirsten Brenthal Booth's volleyball program, number ten in the country right now again. And um J-Pak asks, is Friday's volleyball game at Marquette an elimination game for a seed? Yes. Okay. That's as matter-of-factly as I'm going to put that. I mean, just when you look at this,
1: the Big East doesn't have any good teams in it beyond Marquette and Creighton. That's just <laughs> the bottom line. They, they might have an opportunity to have some RPI teams when you look at – or some NIT teams, excuse me, that you, when you look at how things might shake out at the end of it. But Sure. The at-largest are going to Marquette and Creighton. And they're kind of on the cusp of trying to earn their way into hosting. Uh, Marquette probably actually has a leg up on Creighton right now, believe it or not. Their RPI is, I think, two spots, four spots higher. Interesting. And um, actually, three spots higher. Sorry, but they have a win How'd on the road you? now against Northern Iowa, which was good this week. Um, they beat USC, which Creighton didn't do. So that's sure. and I think USC is a top five RPI team right now. That's a huge win. So if Marquette has an opportunity, a big opportunity, if they can beat Creighton to kind of jump up into that top 15, top conversation. 16 conversation, um, they're better suited for it right now. But if Creighton were to go on the road and beat Marquette, that might jump them into it as well. And then the rest of the schedule, they just kind of went out. Like, they can't lose. They, can't. they had lost, If they had lost Xavier on Thursday, which was their close call, they were down two sets to none and had to rally after intermission to win that. Had they lost that, it would have been over. They would sure. not have hosted no matter what they did. And that's
0: just that slippery slope here, Mm -hmm. right? There's no – we talked about this during the last podcast. There's no margin for error there, and unfortunately that's just – it kind of reminds me, honestly, with some of those uh, Creighton basketball teams, not to make everything, like, you know, relate back to men's men's hoops, but, you know, you'd be in the Valley and you'd you'd have a random Tuesday night game against Bradley, right? And you just couldn't lose it. Even though Bradley at that point, they're throwing out some decent guys – and it's always going to be competitive, and the staffs have been around each other for long enough to know what each other are doing. You just couldn't lose it because you knew that your opportunity for – now, at that point, it's for at-large versus yeah. something like – Yeah, crazy safe
1: in the at-large conversation. Right, right, so, yeah, right. yeah, But
0: you know what I mean? Like, it's just – that's a lot of pressure. I know, Coach Booth, you talked about it last time. Like, that pressure's there. It's real, but it's also something they just have dealt with essentially for the last five years, four years. So, it's nothing new, but it's just – it's too bad. Yeah. Um,
1: but, yeah, the Mar- this Marquette match is huge. Not only that, but for the Big East title, if Creighton wins, they're essentially three games up on Marquette in the regular season standings because they'll have sure. the season sweep, which means it'll take three clunkers to get Marquette to even have a chance to catch them. So that's they have a chance to kind of wrap that up, um, or at least theoretically wrap that up if they can win in Milwaukee again. Yeah.
0: Um, Back-to-back weekend yep. trips now for the Blue Jays. They'll be at Marquette Friday night. That game's on the Big East Digital Network, so that'll be awesome to be able to watch for those of us who can't be there. Then they'll stay around. Can the... we talk
1: about that, how the Big East Digital Network doesn't televise volleyball enough? Yeah, right? is weird. that weird? You got, first of all, my take has always been, when you look at Creighton's volleyball is program, it? Yeah. other than Villanova men's hoops, who's had who's been more successful over the last five years since realignment? Nobody. Nobody, right? You can maybe Georgetown women's soccer, maybe. Maybe DePaul women's basketball.
0: Not DePaul men's I mean, basketball.
1: But, I mean, no one's ruled their league like Creighton has. Right. And like Villanova has. So, in terms of just winning the league and going into a tournament, winning games, going to the second weekend, things like that, Creighton so, volleyball's up and I there. guess there. So, you put them on the, your own network three times. Shouldn't you
0: be... I guess I haven't looked. Do they show a lot of other volleyball yes. on the Big East Digital no. Network? Every okay. every school gets three. And that's what I'm talking about. Right? And my they pushback
1: is women's soccer gets like six or seven. I think... So, so why?
0: I... I bet soccer's easier to record. I bet it's easier to produce the volleyball. Okay. But your, but, but your
1: participation rate among high school girls is higher for volleyball than it is for... I'm not saying participation
0: rate. I'm saying if they have to try to make their cash,
1: it's easier to produce a soccer match than it is a volleyball match. Well, if you want cash, you want to watch something good, right? I, it's something free. possibly great. It's free. Oh, okay. Okay. Great volleyball
0: should be televised. So go out there. Matt's yelling at you if you don't watch the Big East Digital Network uh, this Friday night. Marquette. Uh, hosting the Blue Jays, then DePaul that next evening. Interesting set, and this will be our hashtag segue into men's soccer. Um, I know we already kind of touched on them, but just talking about the schedule at hand. Men's soccer going to be at DePaul Saturday afternoon. So any Jays fans that go watch that match then can hang out and watch uh, women's volleyball at DePaul that evening as well so that's a Saturday and hopefully
1: that'll be done in time for men's basketball to tip off against Winona State there you go I love so that's it that's a triple header of Blue Jay games right there on Saturday
0: and then the next weekend volleyball at St. John's and at Seton Hall do they fight against St. John's volleyball team like does St. John's volleyball team fight and get feisty too
1: No, that would, that would be the next match they have is where you want might see a fight is Seton Hall they're a little bit feisty okay in all their sports really I know it's, it's kind of comical across the, the board. It's
0: the Pirate logo. Yeah. There's something about it that just... I heard coming into the league that Providence would
1: have the fan base that was most like Wichita, but Seton Hall has had the teams that have been most like Wichita, and just in terms of being yeah. more fighty than most, fighty. I guess.
0: Hashtag fighty. So, yeah. All right. Um, we've only got a couple minutes here left on the podcast. Again, want to thank Script Town Brewing for having us here live tonight. Uh, everybody say a toast, give a cheers to John and, and the folks at, at Script Town. Um, you know, as we try to get through some of these questions. So, um, we got a, a nice question here from another listener. Uh, you want to do this one? Sure. Okay. Will women's soccer ever make a Big East tournament? Why you laugh? I'm um, sorry. You're the one um, that well, wanted to answer. Well, I mean, they have to it. eventually, right? You're the one that wanted to answer the question. I mean, in sports, that would,
1: I, I guess, yes, as long as they continue to be a program, you figure eventually that will happen. Um, but they have an opportunity to do that, to get that monkey off the back this Thursday at Providence because that's a win and you're in game, period. Bottom line, if they draw or lose, they are out. So right now I think they're in seventh place. Uh, They have ten points. They're a point back of DePaul in Providence. They lost the head-to-head of DePaul. Um, So, yeah, just if they win Providence, they get three points. They're in no matter what. Nothing nothing can erase that. Uh, So they beat them at the end of the season last year to finish the year. So they have to do that again this time on the road. And it's essentially a championship game. You know, play your way into postseason play for the first
0: time since joining the Big East. Not to get too, not to end this on a negative jam here, but we talked a little bit off the air. This will be, this is Ross Polly's fourth year on the Hilltop, correct? Yes. So what's that look like for a former Blue Jay star that comes back to coach, um, essentially now has had four seasons to make things um, happen that his predecessor really couldn't do there toward the end? Um, and not, not not having that postseason berth in the Big East tournament yet, not making it to an NCAA tournament, which, I mean, that's a huge ask. But, I mean, they've made the NCAA tournament since we've been running WBR. So, um, you know, what's that look like? Is there any sort of um, hot seat there for Coach Pauly at all, based on what you would understand the climate to be down on the hilltop as it relates to women's soccer? Uh,
1: I'm not sure about hot seat. That's uh... – not a, I don't think it's a conversation that's being talked about right now, but I mean just in terms of the, what he wants for that program and the expectations he had for it when he got here, I think progress is something that you you'd probably need to see as a minimum every year, I guess. Uh, so making the Big East tournament is something they haven't done yet. So if they were to do that, that would be a clear sign of progress. Uh, so I think you know this match against Providence is obviously huge for not just this season to continue it but also for the program to take another step. Um, and there are, you know, he uh, and you're not going to find a guy more competitive than that. I mean, just talking to him Sure. You, you get the sense of how athletic he was as a player, just the type of athlete he was as a player. Um, just he's just so fiery, competitive. It's crazy. Like he feels like I feel like he would want to suit up if he could, you know what I mean? Sure. So it's it really comes out and you know, I think he's got players that embrace that, too, that are like that. I mean, Taryn Jacobowski feels like I'm talking to Ross Pauly when I talk to her, so you get that from her. You get that from some, you know, Jalen Bosak is another one, as center back. You know, at the key positions, you have players who embody the type of player Ross Pauly was um, when he took the Creighton Men's Soccer Program, and him and Johnny Torres took it to New Heights as well. So, um, yeah, but I think, you know, just getting that monkey off the back will be something that needs to happen probably pretty soon, Uh, just to show that you know the the all the expectations that he had for what he thought he could do at this program are attainable you know what i mean sure you got to do it to prove it to yourself right you can say it as much as you want but um until you do it there's probably some doubt in your own mind right? right i mean he's this is the first time he's ever been a head coach at a college program so sure there are challenges to being a d1 women's soccer coach in the midwest there's no doubt about that you know everything's on the coasts really and you know the SEC invests a lot in soccer, but you don't see it as much in the Midwest um, in terms of bringing in talent and things like that. So there's challenges, but you know he's confident in what he can build, and I think making the Big East tournament this year, and then having that senior class with Bosak and Jake Kibowski back next year, and then the influx of the new freshmen having that Big East tournament as a minimum bar, and then you know having winning games going forward as the bar to continue to clear.
0: Sure. That's probably important. So Okay. Well, we'll keep our eyes peeled to women's soccer at Providence, too. A win gets them into the Big East Tournament for the first time under Ross Polly's tenure. I just want to say thanks, Matt, for another great podcast tonight. I want to thank everybody from Script Town Brewing for having us here. Um, a great turnout here so far uh, for our first kind of dry run at this. It's exhibition season for us, too, so we really appreciate everybody's patience. Um, and we'll be uh, sending out information about upcoming shows we plan to do this every monday night here for the foreseeable future we'll have guests in sight uh or on site um we're going to do next monday we'll certainly take a, a deep dive into the exhibition game if there's ever an opportunity to get over excited about you know basketball it's always the first exhibition of the year and what you see the Blue Jays do against uh, Winona State, so um, we'll be counting on your uh, questions and your comments to help keep me reined in, because I get as uh, gobsmacked by everything that happens in that first game as anybody else. And then we'll just rely, you know, have a lot of Q&A. We'll have folks here on site. We'll have a third mic open up so we can take some live Q&A on site. And hope to get some people in here. Um, interviews as well so matt'll no doubt get to speak with some people on campus this week and we'll have another one of his expert interviews at a minimum on the show so just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the blue Jay's Bites podcast again want to give shout out big shout out to script town Brewing for their support for hosting us for the great beer for the great atmosphere um, and really their their uh, their interest and their excitement on this going forward so Matt anything else you want to share no I'm i them all tapped out Okay. You, you did a good job tonight. This one's on you. Yeah. Matt DeMoranis, everybody. There it is. Yeah. You hear that? That's, that's the crowd.
1: That's out of that's control. That's the
0: live studio audience. All right. For Matt DeMoranis and the rest of the White and Blue Review and Script Town crew, I am Brian Ott signing off and saying have a great night and go Jays.